Those thoughts you think are not you. Always. This is Psychotherapy. I'm Jet Dunlap. Am I? Yeah, I am. If you think a thing, it doesn't make it real. If you feel a thing, that doesn't make it real. What is she doing? My wife's out right now. Oh, my God. We're not usually away from each other. What's she doing? Who is she with? Is she having a incredible affair with a much better looking Hemsworth? Not the Hemsworth on Westworld. I don't remember what his name is. The other ones. Not even Liam. Chris Hemsworth. Let's just say Chris. Is she with a Hemsworth right now? Is that what's going on? If I thought that, first off, I'd be very happy for her. Way to go, Gina. But that's because I'm crazy. Let's say I thought that and I was jealous. It's a bad thought. It's a stupid thought. It's an unrealistic thought. She's probably just waiting in line at Trader Joe's. I don't need to believe that thought. I can cast that thought aside and say, hey, thought, you're funny, (laughs) which is true. That's why maybe I'm funny occasionally. But don't acknowledge it in the sense that it is real. Don't give it that fuel. This is the topic today. I don't go into the global sense of it in the world right now where people all of a sudden think, I thought it, so it's real. It's real. I thought a thing, it's real. Isn't that true? I'm not doing an impression of anyone in particular, so don't worry. I'm not political. Look at me. I think things and then they're special. Don't be that way. Cast aside those negative thoughts and plant in your head, like that movie Inception, if you can figure out what that movie is about, ideas that will inspire more action in your life that you want. Jet, you've talked about this before. There's only three things I can talk about, Buster Brown. It's not my fault. Come up with more things. Create another human. Talked about aliens before. Maybe I talked about it in this episode. I don't remember. But uh, when you get an alien, maybe I'll talk about them. This is Psychotherapy. I'm Jet Dunlap, and uh, you're going to listen. Here's a little ditty. When I wake up and I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you. Forget what that band was called. I had a CD that, uh, that's compact disc. It looked like a record, but it was smaller, and you fed it to the mouth in your car. And uh, I had this, well, I already said CD. (laughs) And it was like the one-hit wonders of the 90s. I wasn't around then. And if I was, I was very young. One of them was that band. Well, I would walk 500 miles on a... He would do it to meet a man who walked 5,000 miles. I guess it was because it was his teacher. It seems like a lot of miles to me. Geese can fly up to 1,600 miles in a row. I looked that up because geese fly over our house sometimes. I don't know why I'm talking about that song or talking about that CD that had One Hit Wonders. But I do know what my topic today is going to be. Loosely. I don't like to be too rigid on my topics because uh, then I find myself in a place that offends my dear sweet Bonnie Lass, Gina. I usually say, my dear sweet Bonnie Lass, so you get that I'm speaking Irishly. But I do have topics in mind. And is that what this show is about? Is it supposed to be an overarching theme that informs you? about information that turns you into a better you? If it is, uh, I don't know. I hear these late night hosts talking, and I've talked to you about this before. Still, they're still bitching. 
not bitching, like bitching, which I wouldn't know because I'm too young. They're uh, whining about having no audience. I try to picture the applause that's going on right now to my show. And the problem with that is I'm picturing it. I'm not hearing it. That's what feeds me. Just for a moment, I want you to envision you go over to a microphone and you start talking. Words. Words. <laughs> and you have no idea where you're going, except maybe something jotted on a piece of paper that's misspelled. And you have to do that. You're thinking 80 times because this is episode 80. But you don't. You have to do it in the neighborhood of 100 times because there's so many episodes that just go, and I'm doing a pretty accurate impression here. Here's the impression of, I think, the last episode. This is an impression of me, by the way, which I don't usually do because it offends me and I don't want to get in a fight with me. <sighs> I tried again today. I don't know why I do. All my life, I have been working towards something that I still don't have. And if I know that the rest of my life is going to be this hard, why even go on? I never win. I don't have the body I want. I live in an RV. Everything's tough. Boo-hoo. That is what some of the episodes are like. And can you imagine listening to that? What's the show you're listening to, Douglas? Thank you for using my formal name, Salamander. That's his friend, Salamander. Salamander asked the question. What uh, what a show are you listening to, says Salamander to Douglas. Oh, I'm listening to a show called, I almost forgot, by the way, Psychotherapy with Jet Dunlap. Oh, it's uh, not Psychotherapy with Brad Pitt? No, 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 it's the other one with Jet Dunlap. Oh, I hear that one's nothing. What do you mean you hear it's nothing? I mean, I heard nothing about it because I've never heard of it. Okay, Salamander, you don't have to be mean. So Doug says, Salamander, what's that show about? Salamander says, you know, what he always says. He says, oh, it's uh, about this really sad guy who's sad. Why do you listen to it? Uh, I don't know. I don't, like everyone else. Do you hear that? That, that wouldn't work. I couldn't do a show that way. Salamander is a traditional name in Bongleria. So look that up, you racist. I can't do that show, so there's a lot of episodes that are lost to time that I keep. And I keep them because when I... I've already started writing my book. Are you excited? I, no. Just like Salamander, you're not excited. But uh, I started writing my book, and I think it's important to hear the episodes that, just like my journal, my journal from age of 13, it's not all happy-go-lucky answers and solutions to the problems of life. It's not. I mean, mostly it's just sad. You know, it's not. It's just my day, and a lot of the days are tough. If you're listening to this, you probably have that in common. And if not, use my misery to entertain yourself. So I try and have concepts that are going to enlighten folks. And I mentioned, I think in the last episode that I listened to 29 hours of audio last month and read and took classes and had conversations with mentors. And I do that for myself. I may have upped it because of my interest in helping the show, 
but I also do it for myself so I can be enriched by that information so that I can work on myself to make myself the things I want to be and still do. And so I don't have episodes that are sad, but I keep the sad ones because, uh, or the less energetic, I'm trying not to judge myself, but they're sad. So that if I ever have to listen to them, or if I want to have, like I've said before, a worst of episode, which my friend Chris has told me I should do one day, I can do that. And maybe it's cathartic just to talk about it. I don't have a a mentor in my life, and I don't have anyone that I tell my sad stories to, because I don't want to depress my wife. And pretty much the rest of the, I mean, I can't even think of an example. So let's just say everyone else in my life are people who look to me for emotional answers. So if I say to them, when they ask me, hey, Jed, uh, thinking about getting off drugs, and I've been considering suicide, and I said, yeah, you should definitely take drugs and commit suicide because this life is bleak and only gets bleaker, that would not be a good version of me. So you don't hear those episodes. So a lot of episodes to no one was the point of this thing, believing that there's some kind of hope for the people who get to it and listen to it. And sometimes the discouragement I have on the show, which is what I was talking about, is that I don't get to hear the people who hear it. But I'm going to try and get myself or put out there to have some kind of way in the future where I can have an audience. Um, They can ask me questions that I'm not getting to. Okay, now on to the show. It is less stressful to do a thing than think about it. Lately, my wife and I have been working for the last month and a half on this outdoor project done woodwork, done an incredible landscaping job. It's gorgeous. I'm looking at it right now. I should put pictures in the notes, but I won't go to Instagram. When I get into a routine like that, it's easy for my other routines to fall off. And I end up being tired because it was so hot. I'm doing a lot of work that doesn't feel like exercise. And I get into a shape that I don't want to. Still sober, still a vegetarian, all those things. So I have discipline in other places. But eventually, the good thing about that kind of discipline, like I said in the last episode, is it just you don't remember anymore. You don't think about it. You're not giving yourself daily credit for the things you do that are positive, right? So we start writing more in my screenplays, the fourth pass, this first screenplay I wrote. And then after that, it goes to a professional editor. So that takes a little more willpower. I'm a little more tired. I don't get to exercise. I don't do the blah, blah, blah. So what ends up happening is I end up thinking about how I'm not running or not exercising or not weightlifting. And I start worrying. I look in the mirror. I'm like, oh, I'm getting smaller. I'm getting out of shape, blah, blah, blah. And I think about exercising. And I think, and I think. You see that Winnie the Pooh? Uh, I think it's the first Winnie the Pooh, the original one, where he's like, think, 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 think. I'm like that. And that thinking about it constantly is more tiring than the activity. I have a trick where if you're thinking about running, thinking about writing, thinking about anything you're trying to get accomplished that day or get into a routine of, in a habit of, why don't you start doing that thing while you're thinking about it. I'll be thinking about running, putting on my shoes. I'll be thinking about running while I start to walk so that I'm not just putting it out there forever. Maybe it's looking for a new job. Just pull out the computer while you're still thinking about it. Log on to that site while you're still thinking about it. I think it's sometimes easier to not make a clear decision and just get into it. This all comes down to fooling your brain. Our brains are stupid. (laughs) Yes, it's the most intelligent computer on earth right now, maybe. But we do spend a lot of time thinking about things we don't do. 
We spend a lot of time worrying about things that aren't real. What we need to learn how to do is deal with this brain like we're some kind of lion trainer. But my point is, is that we must handle these devices as if we are a foreign entity. As if we are not the thing inside our head. As if our thoughts are not us. You get angry. Ugh. I got angry and I said all those horrible things. Apologize immediately. Do it. And then say, I said those things. They were stupid. I apologized. Overdone with gone. Overdone with gone. Move on. We carry billions, billions of pounds of guilt and fear. Fear of what if? Fear of an alternate past. Fear of the real past. Fear of someone else's past. Fear of a movie. Fear of a conversation you had that didn't make sense 20 years ago. Fear of the way you treated someone who was not even alive anymore. Fear of the way you thought but didn't act. Fear of a future that exists in your mind but hasn't happened. And and just splinter that out into the branches of a tree that go through eternity. That is the false world we live in and that is what we deal with every time we want to do a new thing like pay a bill. Call your credit card company. Look at your credit card balance, even though you're afraid to. What gets neglected mostly grows or diminishes, depending on what the negative aspect of that is. We're afraid to do a thing that would actually take 10 seconds. But we're okay with feeling terrible about a thing our entire life. So I propose, don't look at your thoughts as you. That should be easy. Are you thinking right now? Go ahead and try. Think. Very good. Now realize that you thought a thing and then something thought about the thing you thought about. There was an observer and a thinker. You must be the one who observes, right? So if your mind is the thing you're observing, then you're the thing outside that mind, and that means you have control of your mind. Let me repeat that. If I just told you to think, and then you thought, and then you thought about thinking, and then you listened to the show, and you thought, yes, Jet, I just thought. That means the person, let's say it's a person, just in this pretend world, the person that saw you think is superior to the person who thought. So let's call it the thinker and the observer. So if you're the observer, just like you are when you go onto a computer, move your hands on the keyboard and dictate its computations. <laughs> yeah, okay. It is external. We must look at thoughts the same way. Oh man, I'm really worried about that thing. Oh, okay, thought. It's okay, we don't have to worry about that. Let me look into it right now. Or, okay, thought. That's not for a year. Let's move on. I'm really bummed out about the coronavirus. Okay, thought. That's not something you can solve. You're not smarter than all the other epidemiologists on earth, are you? Thinker, thought guy? No, you're not. So your concern about that is useless. 99.9% of our thinking is useless. And that's a statistic I just made up. But you can take it to the bank. If you go to the bank, wear a mask and rob it. It's not a coronavirus thing. Most of the things you think 
are useless. Cortisol, something we talk about a lot in my class right now, is something that exists to protect you from saber-toothed tigers. I'm walking down my neighborhood right now, the exact neighborhood I live in. It was made during the Crustaceous period. I'm walking around and there's a lot of rocks, like the ones I just exposed in my yard. I'm walking with my cave lady. She's really hairy. It's gross. I'm hairier. It's even grosser. We're wearing clothes or not wearing clothes. We're cave people. Not really that big a deal. I hear a... What is that? What's that noise? Spoiler alert, it's a saber-toothed tiger. My cortisol levels spike through the roof. Supplies adrenaline. Supri supplies. Supplies! It supplies everything I need for fight or flight. I need to decide if I'm going to protect my hairy self and my hairy wife. Or husband. I don't know. I might have been gay in this scenario. That is why that existed. That is why your brain is this giant reactionary computer. Isn't that silly that that's held over? And I'm not violating your belief in religion, even if we were built whenever you say 7,000 years ago. And please understand, this is not condescension. I'm saying I don't know. Even if we were, the more primitive version of ourself had to react to aggressors in a way that we don't every day. I have gone 15 years? 15 years since I've even seen the skeleton of a saber-toothed tiger at the La Brea Tar Pits. And that skeleton was scary, but it couldn't attack me because it didn't have skeleton powers. So I didn't need to spike my cortisol. Now I'm in a worse situation, maybe not worse, but I'm in a situation where I always think something's going to come down to a physical fight. Okay? My childhood and then my teens, there were a lot of altercations with a lot of different situations and people. So when I'm getting in an argument, or I have a disagreement with someone, in-laws, friends, family, anyone. Now, I don't actually think this out loud. Well, obviously, we don't think out loud. But, well, I guess I just did. <laughs> but I'm not consciously thinking this. But I know in the back of my reptilian brain, I am, and I'm not talking about like, you know, the reptile king that rules the world. I mean, doesn't. I'm talking about the part of your brainstem that thinks that way. I'm feeling like it's going to turn into a fight. It's an erroneous thought. I don't need to get in fights. I don't get in fights. Last time I got in a fight was years ago, which is still more recently than most people. But it is not a thing that exists in my life often. But my brain is thinking of things that don't make sense and reacting to the world in either A, the saber-toothed tiger situation, which goes all the way back to long before we were born, the way you were treated when you were a kid, your fears about something that happened when you were a kid that doesn't exist. And then we react to the world that way. We are afraid of doing things we want to do because of a result that will probably not happen. I go back to this scenario a lot, but all my life as an adult, People said, you should be a comedian. You should be a comedian. Mostly it was my teachers because they're like, you don't have the grades to be anything else. Go be a comedian. And I thought, yeah, yeah. Man, I want to be a comedian. I even had standby lines. I'd say, no, I don't want to bring that much joy to the world. Little masochist kind of. My little idea of my nihilist self. Nah, man, that ain't me. No, thanks. 
What was I really saying? I was afraid. What was I really afraid? I guess I was afraid of failing. And I had to do it, and I did. After my grandfather died, I started doing this show, and I decided to be more courageous, and I did stand-up comedy. And I told you guys after I did it that the difference between not doing stand-up comedy and doing stand-up comedy was a moment. And you know what that moment was? Watch. This is the moment before. Hi, everyone. My name is Jet. And that's the moment when I started. No matter how or what I said after that, I had done it. Now, I didn't become a successful stand-up comedian. I did it a bunch of times. I had to do stand-up to prove to myself I could do it, and I would never have become a screenwriter if it wasn't for stand-up. I didn't get to know at the time that that was what it was going to bring me into. At the time, I thought it was just for stand-up. There are these doors in life that the smartest people I've ever talked to, the most successful people I've ever talked to, and these are people who are successful in their dream job. Big actors, not size-wise, but successful. People who started their own industry. And what they said to me is, what I believe, that there's a series of doors that you go through in life. And you don't know why you have to go through that door, and you don't know what's on the other side until you get there. So doing stand-up was something I was terrified about, like a saber-toothed tiger. I was that afraid. Of course it wasn't. It couldn't kill me. I did it, and then it opened another door. Was it scary? Sure. Was I in a place where I understood I was watching the thinker? So I didn't believe my fears completely. If I believed my fears completely, I wouldn't have done it. If I thought, oh, that's going to kill me. And I believed that thought, I wouldn't do it. How many times have we not done the thing because we believe the thought we think? I can't go running a day, I'll have a heart attack. A book I'm reading right now on addiction, alcoholism. A lot of the people that this 10-year sober person runs into says, these people say, I don't want to quit drinking, it could kill me. Now, the percentage of people who actually die from delirium tremens or stroke or something like that from quitting alcohol is minuscule. Street-level alcoholics. People who are what you would think of as just multiple drugs, multiple addictions, and they die of multiple liver failure. That's not you. But the people tell him, I don't want to stop drinking because I'm afraid I'll get sick or die. These are people who drinking one night, one blackout, one drunk driving situation could kill them, but they're really saying, I don't want to quit because I want to keep going. But they're using this magical thinking to prevent themselves from what they really need to do. The fear that we have is there to keep us in the status quo, to keep you doing what you've always done, to keep you from doing the thing you really want to do. When I was talking to this other friend of mine who wants to fulfill his life's destiny, as he believes it to be, and I happen to agree because I've known this person for a long time, I said, that is on the other side of the most difficult things you'll ever have to do in your life. Where I am right now, I have walked through hell to get to. I lost my mind. I had to teach myself to be a person again. If you haven't heard that, go back in my episodes. I had to quit drinking every day. 
I have to make the decisions to be a better person. Depression, I had to walk through that and it was most acute within the last five years. Even though before that it was, it was horrible, it was even worse more recently. I had to walk through that to be the guy I am today. So I understand through experience that to be the person you want to be, if that goal is big, you have to be willing to go through something you've never gone through. Now, of course you do, right? Of course you do. You don't want it to be any other way. If you're here as a human, you're a spiritual creature having a human experience, wouldn't you want to stretch your abilities? Wouldn't that be the purpose of incarnation? To do, be something that was hard? What else is the purpose? Floating along causes you more emotional pain than any temporary pain from doing that thing you want to do. You know that. You've done it. You graduated something. You've met these accomplishments. Maybe it's been a long time for you. Someone I love very much has not accomplished a lot in a very long time. So I try and show this person, you accomplish this small thing. Give yourself a mental reward on that. Maybe a physical reward. Maybe you go out and get frozen yogurt. That's a part of this, guys. And I, I alluded to it a little bit in the last episode, but this is a different way of seeing it. When you accomplish something, if you don't acknowledge it, you won't get more of that. You won't continue to accomplish things at a higher level. If you don't say after that walk, slap me five, talk to a friend, get in a group, create a group on Fitbit, Facebook, Apple Watch, create a personal group with your friends on a Zoom call, have them hold you to accountability, but have them also reward you. You went on a walk today. Awesome. Great job. That's awesome. I already said awesome. That's great. I already said great. <laughs> I get no compliments for that. But reward yourself. Track it. Look at, wow, this month I walk 50 miles? That's incredible. I don't think I've ever done that in my life. Guess what that unlocks? You have no idea what that little thing will do to change your life. And realize that when you don't want to, when you're afraid to do it, that's just the thing that's not you. Sometimes I yell and scream and I'm a bad guy. And immediately I apologize to my wife and I'm like, ah, I was an asshole. I was an idiot. I didn't mean that. I'm very specific. I shouldn't have said that. That's not who I am and that's not who you are. And I say that stuff because I'm this, that, and the other thing. I'm about as imperfect as you can get. If you took a lot of people who are very flawed and put them in a basket and shook it up and served it as a stew, that would be me. But I watch those thoughts. I watch those actions. And I become quicker at reacting to the crazy ones, the crazy thoughts, crazy actions. There are days where I don't work out and I have guilt and that guilt plagues me. There are days where I don't write and that guilt plagues me. There's been way too long where I've been done episodes and it plagues me, but I get it done and then I feel better. I'm back up on my episodes and I haven't been for a while and I feel okay about it, but I'll have to tell myself and then eventually my wife, Gina, I'll say, hey, I did this many episodes this week. She'll be like, hey, she's not a big like celebrator of that stuff, <laughs> which is okay. You know, I can't make anyone in my life different than they are. I can only work on myself. So I have to celebrate myself. But let's say I even get a high five out of her and it's reluctant. She's carrying groceries. She doesn't really care. No judgment. But it's for me. 
I have to acknowledge it. I have to write it down. I have to look at the fact that this is episode 80. Because if I don't, it won't continue. And someone will say to me, well, why? And I'll say, because we're human and that's how we work. We do things that feel like they reward us. Eating a donut is an easy reward. Someone's thinking right now, I don't like donuts, eating whatever. (laughs) Doing something that's pleasurable. It's its immediate reward. But the things that have rewards later, the bigger rewards, it's a little harder. But the reward for it is much better. Chances are, when you have a salad today, instead of, I don't know, a hot fudge sundae, that there won't be any applause. Maybe maybe do this. Maybe download an applause app. Okay? Or here. No app needed. That's me. I don't know who you are where you live in a world where you have a hot fudge sundae every day. My God. Lucky you. But if you didn't have that hot fudge sundae today and you had a salad, I clap for you. Those little rewards. And don't believe the thing inside your head that says, oh my God, we didn't have that. We will die. We will explode. Our normal self is gone. Who will we be? I want to end with this. When I changed everything about myself after I got out of the hospital and had to relearn how to be me, and I forgave the people who harmed me the most, my biggest fear was the person that I was going to be. And this is some deep work to realize this is my biggest fear. My biggest fear was that the person I would turn myself into would not be liked. And that happened a little bit. When I got thin, when I stopped drinking, when I got fit, some of the people in my family hated me. Don't talk to me. Judge me. And I regret nothing. But the fear was that would be global. It wasn't. The people who didn't like me, they didn't like me before. They were just more vocal now. And now I was able to know who they were and move on. Let me tell you what your fear is thinking. Oh, I knew that'd be the case. No, it's the people you already know. And you will find that you are so inspirational to people you don't know that that doesn't matter. So for every one person that's already not been a fan of yours, you get a hundred people that use your accomplishment to furnish their own. And isn't that a fair trade? Isn't that a good deal? You know it is. Let's go do it. Together. I'm out of words. And I'm Jet Dunlap. This is Psychotherapy. Thank you for those of you few who've listened to 80 episodes of this show. A year ago, I wouldn't have had any idea this was possible, and here I am. So this itself is proof and concept. I'll talk to you next time. For Psychotherapy, I'm Jet Dunlap.